In this episode of The Ziggler Show, tragedy, trauma, a setback, a challenge, a lack, a break. I mean, those things will never happen to you, right? I often go about my life with that perspective, but I know better. I've experienced such things, and it's not pessimistic to think something hard is likely to happen again. So what am I doing now to prepare to weather the storm? So I have a clip from Zig Ziglar telling a story of overcoming, made possible by the preparations before tragedy ever struck. And I asked the Ziegler audience at any moment you could encounter a life altering tragic change to your life. What are you doing to beat the odds of overcoming it instead of it overcoming you? And the answers fell into three categories, uh, though in truth, under one primary umbrella. You're going to find out what that is in just a moment. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. Here then is a three and a half clip from Zig Ziglar, and he's telling a story about Morris Goodman. And what you're going to hear is it wasn't so much what Morris did after his tragedy, but what he had done before that prepared him to ultimately overcome. Here you go. On March the 10th, 1981, on a beautiful, clear day, a young man was flying his airplane. His name was Morris Goodman. Enormously successful life insurance salesman. Had been taking care of himself all of his life. Had succeeded in everything that he had attempted to do. However, that particular day, something went astray with that airplane. He ended up in a very serious crash. His spinal cord was crushed. Half the muscles and ligaments in his neck were destroyed. His neck was broken at the first and second vertebrae. His jaw was crushed, as were his larynx and voice box. The nerves in his diaphragm were so badly damaged that it wouldn't work, and he couldn't breathe on his own. He was unable to swallow. His bowels, bladder, and kidneys stopped functioning. All the experts said the odds on survival are over a million to one, and if he does survive, he will simply be a vegetable. The situation was not good. But Morris Goodman said something there that I think is enormously significant. He said the doctors were basing their opinions on test results and past cases. I was basing my expectations to fully recover on a will to live and a will to recover. 
the classic concept of optimism and positive thinking, along with a deep belief in the potential within each one of us. Let me say it again. He had succeeded before in everything he had tried. He had been taking care of his body with uh, doing the proper things, eating the right food from a nutritional point of view, exercising, following a strict regime all of his life. He was in a position now where the odds were so enormously high that he would ever be able to do anything, couldn't communicate with anybody. His sister devised a card system which enabled him to blink his eyes and uh, communicate very effectively with the people. Uh, He went through a lot of turmoil, a lot of difficulty along the way. On November the 13th, 1981, Just a few months after they had said he would not live, he walked out of that hospital. Now, today he's been bear hunting, deer hunting. He travels all over the world speaking. He's running a camp for uh, underprivileged boys, uh, giving them a chance in life. They made a movie about him, uh, The Miracle Man. And I'm very delighted to be able to say that the movie says quite a bit about the fact that he was listening to the motivational tapes that I had prepared. And he said it made a difference. It helped his attitude when things were tough. You look at the picture of this guy and here's what you find. Number one, he saw himself from the first day. He visualized himself as walking out of there healthy and hunting. He had the capacity to focus, to zero in on that one goal of doing that. Had a tremendous desire and a will to win. He had the discipline and the commitment and he had the persistence that was going to be necessary. President Coolidge had this to say, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence, determination, and hard work makes the difference. So my team took the responses from this question And they came really into three categories. Actually, two guys just talked about having really good life insurance. So uh, that's relevant for when you have a life-altering, tragic change to your life like death. So uh, life insurance. But everything else felt into three categories. One was faith slash spirituality. That was the most responses towards that. Second one was mindset. And the third was habits. But it really, Tom, I mean, in looking at them, if you take the aspects of mindset and faith and spirituality, you could really put them under the umbrella of practicing the habits of those things, which, you know, I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, yeah, I have a faith. You know, I believe in God. I believe in whatever. If you do not daily be doing something with that, practicing with that, I would say it probably won't have a great deal of value when tragedy, for instance, strikes. Um, So, you know, again, it really felt like it goes back to habits, which reminds me of my friend Tom Ziegler. What's the fastest way to success, says Tom on stage when asked that about, what, five years ago now? Yeah, I think even longer than that, uh, but only because we're in a time warp. True. Uh, the fastest way to success is to replace bad habits with good habits. Yeah, yeah. 
And so with these, you know, faith and spirituality and mindset, they really came under. Let me, let me read a couple on, you know, mindset. So Bridget Morris is just focus on what you still can do and still have available to you. Don't focus on what has been lost. That's great. If you're doing it, I think every day, you know, ritualistically doing it. Steve Rosen says, as someone who has been overcome with tragedy and is still facing the storms of PTSD, I wake up each day, give an honest effort to find some meaning and satisfaction and purpose in life. This is helping me heal and grow. Uh, Thankfully, this approach is opening my world back up and letting some sunshine in. Sarah Brown, self-talk. There's classic. I just recorded a show with, matter of fact, I, I recorded this, a show with this guy, your buddy, John Acuff, who has an entire chapter of his book soundtracks dedicated to Zig Ziglar, but more so to his interview with you. And they talked about self-talk. Um, and so with Sarah saying self-talk, which folks, you can get the Zig Ziglar self-talk cards at Ziglar.com slash self-talk. But she says self-pity is what she had for a while. Then she picks herself up by her bootstraps and carries on. She says, I've done that multiple times. It's got to be mind over matter. Uh, Soma Hathaway is someone with degenerative disc disease and adjacent segment disease. I have learned many ways to manage chronic pain because we all suffer from some form of pain. I've learned these are valuable tools to a successful life. We must first recognize that pain is not an unfortunate side effect, but rather an essential part of our existence necessary for growth and development. Um, Tim Winder says, He just did a podcast episode himself on this, how to build up your immunity to change. And it was seek, go and create Wade Maines. Every day, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. Life altering does not necessarily have to be bad, although it could be the opportunity for growth, at least as it has been for me. So, but when you talk about that mindset, I would say it's one thing to state your mindset well, how's that for a question, Tom? Is it possible to have a mindset that you just decide on or is a mindset only built? Fundamentally, you have to decide and choose what mindset you want to have. And then you have to go about building it day in and day out. Yeah. So you got to choose what you want and then you got to build it. And the word that we use all the time is habit. We've got to create the daily habits that automatically produce the right kind of mindset. Uh, But I also, and I say but in here because let's face it, um, so many people have physical and traumatic life altering things happen to them that I'm going to use another word that I think is even more important. And that is, and it's similar to habit, but it's even more basic. It's routine. Yeah. All right. It is routine. And I'll just use, I'll just use dad as an example. When he had his fall down the stairs and he had the double brain bleed and he's in the hospital and he's got short-term memory loss. He's, he's got vertigo. He's still bandaged up. He still looks beat up. And he asked the doctor, can I get out of here today? Because I got to go speak in a few days. And the doctor looks at him and says, Mr. Ziegler, you need to understand and accept you'll never speak again like you did before. Well, that's an expert, a neurologist, 
putting a cap or a limit on what you can do without your permission and without your best interests. Yeah. From his world of experience, it may, it may have been true 99% of the time, but there's always that 1%. So what was dad's routine? What was his habit? His mindset habit that he'd literally poured into for the 50 plus years was to identify the problem and then focus on the solution. His problem was, is he needed to go and speak. The reality was, is he couldn't speak the way he could just a few days before because of this accident. And so he didn't, he didn't uh, react to the doctor. He didn't go into doom and gloom. The doctor walked out of the room and dad turned to my sister, Julie, and said, little one, I still have something to say. We just got to find a new way of saying it. And after that, he did over 100 engagements with an interview format. But that moment in that bed didn't happen because he decided he was going to have a great attitude, because he decided he was going to have a great mindset. It happened because he built habits and routines into his mind that his thoughts would run down on the highway even when he was under pain and duress and frustration and everything else. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what we do before we get there is we build those pathways. We build those routines and those habits. And then when we get there, we rely on those routines. And then we give ourselves a lot of grace. Uh, when my sister Susie passed away, I've never seen a man being more grief than my father. He never denied it. He never hid from it. He just did what he needed to do for him, which was to get into private and pray and cry it out. I mean, that's, and so once again, he turned to his, his routine, you know, his dependence, his reliance on faith and on God. But he didn't assume he could do and act as if he always did, like it didn't affect him, right? He took the time to deal with it. Um, so that is, that's another example. So two kinds of trauma, right? A, a physical head injury trauma and an emotional grief trauma. And all of us go through both of those. And then, you know, I'm kind of like dad in one way, and that is he's a connector and he he would connect everything together. He would take an idea here, an idea there, and so on. And I was uh, watching a short video, and I think it was Jordan Peterson, and they asked him, what's the one thing everybody should do and to be better? And he said, learn to write, because writing is thinking, and thinking is writing. Mm. And wow, that just really, really hit me hard, because when I look at dad and his grief, the way he really handled that grief is he wrote the book confessions of a grieving Christian. That was his therapy. And the interesting thing about putting words down on paper is what you're doing is you're bringing your thinking into the light and you're massaging it and working on it and looking at it and deciding, is that right? Or is that wrong? Could it be better? What's missing from that? Um, and, and so just this, this subject of 
gosh, you know, what are the habits and the routines that we could develop? I'm kind of thinking based on all of these little connectors that, you know, not only do we have to build the habits and routines that create the right mindset, maybe one of the simplest, easiest, best habits is that little bit of journaling every single day where we're getting our thinking down on paper and working our way through it because it's, it's tough. It reminds me, and I've mentioned this, excuse me, I mentioned this before. I was at a men's retreat and they showed a clip I've not been able to find again. And it was of the Olympics. I don't know, quite a while ago, a decade ago, maybe. And it had a gymnast. It was an American gymnast. His father, it was actually his stepfather was his coach and he bombed. So he's in the Olympics and he bombs one of the routines and he's off the side trying to recover because he's got another, you know, another apparatus to deal with, another event. And he's trying to ask, what do I do? How do I recover? And ultimately, and this was the point of the video, the dad says, at this point, there's nothing you can do other than trust your training. Just go out there and do what you have done 10,000 times. Reminds me of Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, putting that the, that the masters have 10,000 hours and do what's reflexive. And Tom, it reminds me of, you know, a a couple different things in athletics, but one, you know, mountain biking is what I do today a lot. And I like to bomb these descents and there are not a lot because I I don't try to risk life and limb a whole lot. Every once in a while, you know, there'll be that corner or that rock or whatever. And I'll think things kind of, I lose control and I think I'm going down and and even the thought, you would think, gosh, if that thought goes through my head, then you are, right? Kind of that thing of wherever you're looking, that's where you're going to go. And I'm amazed at how most of the time I don't fall down. Somehow my body just, it's done it for so many years. I mean, I've been riding bikes since I was, you know, four years old and jumping stuff and going down crazy things. And my body just knows what to do. Am I training my mind like that with overcoming with positive thinking with good self-talk am i doing that so when trauma hits and we actually had it was show 707 so it's been a while hal elrod a lot of people know hal from the miracle morning book a phenomenal book one of the best-selling self-published books ever i think and in that actually i had him on the show and we talked also about the miracle equation which i believe is the second book and in that he talks about this accident he was in hit by a drunk driver and he was he how was demolished just demolished the doctors came in and say kind of similar thing as they did with your dad tom and they said I, you're not going to walk again and they left and he said you know i'm going to walk but the thing that stuck out was he really did not grieve a whole lot for his predicament he was just positive and optimistic uh, the whole time to the point where the medical staff went to his parents and said, I, I think he's not understanding the gravity of what's going on here. He's not perceiving it. I don't, I, I think, I think something's wrong. His parents went into him. I think it was actually his father and, and did this. And he said, dad, look at what I've been doing all these years. He's been training himself. He says, I've been training myself. I, I whittled it down to where when something negative happened, I gave myself five minutes to be negative, and then that was it. And then I got tired of taking that long. I took four, and then I took three, and I took two. And at this point, I don't know what the point is to spend any moment. And again, it's not being Pollyanna. 
It's not not feeling it. And if you need to feel it for five days, that's okay. But for Hal's story and him personally, he says, I've been dealing with overcoming for so long that now I look at this and go, look, I can't control it. I can't take it away. It happened. A drunk driver hit me. I'm wrecked. My body's not working currently. I, I think that it will again. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to choose to believe that. But regardless, what good does lamenting dramatically about it do me? So I'm going to go forward with a positive attitude. Now, of course, the story is that he recovered and he's walking and running and doing things today. Now, I say that and I want to be so sensitive, Tom. So you talked about that. What did Zig do when a child died? He grieved for, for plenty of time. So if somebody's out there, this is not to say that if your child dies, you should be over it in five seconds and just say, well, hey, I've been planning for this, so we're just going to go forward. Good. I mean, there is much to be said for grieving, for lamenting, for that. So we're not minimizing that, but it is saying, how do I, how am I training myself today? Not to look forward to trauma, tragedy, and be pessimistic, but to not be arrogant, say anything could happen to me at any time. What am I doing to be working out my mindset and the habits as you explain it, Tom? You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode on what we are doing proactively so that we can overcome the challenges, the traumas that may, that probably will at some point happen to us in the future. And next, Tom talks about the shame and guilt we often associate with those traumas afterwards and how we can look at that with a different paradigm. You know, what's interesting is when we get hit with something, uh, a physical trauma, a mental, spiritual trauma, whatever the case is, and then later we feel the ramifications of that, our question that we ask ourselves is, what's wrong with with me? You know, (laughs) and so that has a lot of indictment, a lot of condemnation, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of you know, this isn't up to me. What's what's wrong with me? I don't even know what's wrong with me. And a better question is this. What happened to me and how did I survive it? Because the fact that you're still living and breathing and having those feelings, that tells you you survived it, right? Whatever, whatever happened to you. And I think that's what Hal was saying is, look, something happened to me. Something bad happened to me. And because of all of his years of, of preparation of his, his, his mindset, he was able to quickly go into what can I do about it? Yeah. And we all know this. We all know, you know, dad used to say the bad thing about a pity party is nobody comes but yourself. Yeah. You know, nobody likes to be there. Yeah. And, you know, depending on the situation, we all have to grieve when we lose something. We have to grieve because that's the death of something, right? It's yeah. the way the way life was will never be. But you know what? The, the way life can be could be better. It could be amazing. It could be, you know, different in ways that we don't even understand. The the difference in, that we make in others' lives could go to a different level. The joy we and the appreciation, the gratitude for what we do have could go to another level, but I, but I think it, it starts with, um, 
laying down the routine, laying down the habit that says from a purely logical perspective, gosh, you know, what's the, what's the best way out of this? And it's to really get solution focused. Yeah. Right. You know, I was, I was teaching a class uh, today and I said to the group, I said, we were talking about the different personality styles, the D, the I, the S, the C, the dominant, the, you know, the, the cheerleader influencer type, the steady, the S that's me, you know, I like relationships and, and slow to change. And then the C, which is the high detailed individual. And I said, you know, throughout history, there have been world-class leaders all with each personality type, right? There's nothing set in stone that leaders are only one or this or that. I said, but all these world-class leaders have one thing in common. And that is they've discovered their blind spot. And then they take specific steps to bring people into their inner circle who are strong where they have a blind spot, whether it's to hold them accountable, whether it's to bring a skill set or talent or gift that they just don't have. And I think this is a real important thing for us. As we look at our routines and our habits, we are created for relationship and we need to be intentional about building relationships with our friends and with our family and to have that deep relationship with somebody that says, Hey, we're on this journey of life together and I'm here to help you. And the best way you can help me is I've got a blind spot right here. I've got a blind spot right here. And then they come in and reinforce you because when you go through some sort of a trauma, you need people on your side and as Bob Bodine says, people who know the words to the song of your heart so that when you forget it, you can play it back. They'll play it back to you. They'll recite the words to you. And to me, part of that is people who know the routines that you need to have that make you flourish, who can come in and remind you of that and who know that you because you've shared with them your blind spots. Hey, I'm, I'm weak in these areas because sometimes when we when we're down we need some we need some help from those that love us to help encourage us back into the right path well on that note tom we need someone we i want to hit a couple of the people who cited faith and spirituality in that because that is obviously that's we had the most responses towards that and i mean this is a I'll say this is my opinion. This is my, this is where I put my faith that part of my faith in God is faith. And from my experience that he works in me more effectively, most effectively through other people that are seeking him like you, Tom, like you in my life. That's the way that I have experienced God's, you know, love and impact on my life most more so even than my time sitting out of the wo- in the woods trying to work and to commune with God, which is one of my favorite things to do. But if I really look at the experience of my life, it's been God through other people. Uh, as you say, I-, I love one of my friends. He says, I, I trust the Jesus in you. 
And I love that perspective of me experiencing God through those who are following and seeking him. And so a, a bunch of people responded. I'm not going to, it would take a long time to read through them all, but Wendy was one of the first ones to respond in this category. She said, you know, I focus on Jesus. And I said, well, what would that entail? If you're explaining it, even to a, a non-believer, what does that look like? And she said, getting further into the living word, the Bible, diving deep into prayer with my prayer partners at church and elsewhere, which I'll thumb up on there on relationship, praying boldly against the evil present in the name of Jesus. Jennifer says, I've witnessed that God always brings me through, but I did let life altering changes overcome me in the past for too many wasted years. When, not if it happens again, I will. So listen to this, forgive myself faster, wallow in self-pity less back to your pity party, Tom, and try to figure out what I'm being taught rather than bemoaning my circumstances. And that's, again, that's why I love reading this from other people. That is not to, I really want people to hear this because I feel like in the personal development industry as well, we're often guilty of Pollyanna in some of the things and not letting people feel the hurt, feel the sadness. So want to give gravity to that. But to what point, but to what level of, obviously we're talking about this not incapacitating you. I mean, we started off with the story from Zig of the guy and how he recovered. And the point there that Zig really started off with was it wasn't how he recovered because of what he did afterwards. Now, obviously that had to do, I'm sure he did loads of physical therapy and positive thinking and all kinds of things. But the primary ingredient for him was what he had done prior. And, and that is, that's why we're doing this show, Tom. That's what sticks out to me. I mean, as a father of so many that I still have dependents, I still have five dependents at home, five kids at home. And it is, it is arrogant is what I feel like for me not to think, for me to act like I'm one of those people that, oh, X, Y, Z is not going to happen to me. I have a higher chance of something happening to me, of the loss of a child or the, the harm of a child. Or if I get taken out of it impacting a lot more people acutely in that. So it feels arrogant. This is something I've lived with for a long time, not to think, so what am I doing to prepare for that? We had a lady here in town, had a couple that had 12 kids and had one right here in my little town, right on a main soccer field. That's kind of right in town. There were kids were out there playing. He got hit by lightning just out of the blue, boom, hit by lightning dead instantly. And the lady recovered kind of that Hal Elrod story. She dealt with it to a degree that it really bothered a lot of people. And that was her response though. And, and when there was testimony to it, she had been living a prayerful life for so long seeking God out and she could take you through the events leading up to this, this event where she had taken the other kids on a trip. This one kid stayed behind and, you know, that's right away we go to, well, my gosh, if I had only taken him, he'd be saved. And she says, no, I, I prayed about it. God, who do you want me to take on the trip? Which kids? I know he had another thing going. I prayed about it and I, I did what I felt led to. And I'm going to trust that. So I'm not going to beat myself up. Now I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to beat myself up with the what ifs. 
And yet so often we do that, but it's often because we didn't do the prayerful thinking. We didn't seek counsel we, from friends. We didn't pre-think that. We just let it happen and it leaves the door open. I guess that's really the point here. Is are we leaving the door open for regret or are we taking care of things beforehand so that we don't have that when, or like Jennifer said, if, or not if, but when something happens to whatever degree, trauma can, it's lots of levels, but we're going to have trauma. What are we doing to make sure we overcome it? Yeah. Yeah. I love, there's a, there's a story um, and it's, it's a myth. It's a legend. It's a story. It's, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's something that's an underpinning of many things. And we see the allegory of it in many places. And it's about, it's about Atlas. It's about, you know, God says, Hey, I want you to push this rock up the hill. That's what I want you to do. Yeah. And the rock weighs, you know, 25 times what the man weighs or what the woman weighs. And you push and push and push and you go, Hey God, this thing ain't moving. And God said, Hey, I, I just want you to push it up the hill. That's all I want you to do. And so you submit and you just start pushing. So now I want you to visualize this. If you spent eight hours a day pushing a rock up the hill with everything you had over weeks and months, what would happen to you? Get stronger. Yeah. So then God steps out and says, okay, now we're, now you're ready. Now you're ready for what your purpose is. And so I take, you know, the rock wasn't the purpose. The rock was the meat grinder, the furnace, the fire, whatever you want to call it. It was the, it was the thing, the trial. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance it was the thing you needed to go through in order to do the thing. And we don't understand. We've, we've got a limited perspective. We don't, you know, <laughs> we're not omnipresent, omniscient, you know, we, we're, we're just here. We're doing the thing. And that takes a lot of, that takes a deep spiritual root, which is what, uh, the lady was talking about, I prayed about it and that was the answer. Yeah. Right. So we know yeah, right? when you have faith, you know, that the things here don't make sense. I mean, they just don't, you can't make sense out of anything, but ultimately in an eternal perspective, things do make sense. Yeah. Right. Things do have that component that says, Hey, you didn't understand. I was there with you. I suffered with you and look at, look at what's happening now. Look at these ripples. Uh, and another example, I was talking with Bob Bodine again, and I was like, Hey, I got this friend. He's got this career crisis and he's got choice a, which isn't so good. And he's got choice B, which isn't so good. And he looked at me and he said, God's not a God of having you pick between two bad choices, <laughs> right? That's just not who God is. The reality is, is that you might have to pick one of the choices that don't seem so good, but when you go all out into that choice and do it in the right way, then 
you're going to emerge refined from it. It doesn't mean you're not going to curse the rock every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Bob Bodine twice, and he is the author of Two Chairs. So, folks, if you don't know that, check out the book Two Chairs. If you type in Bob Bodine, his last name is B E A U D I N E. We've had him on the show two or three times, and talking about that, the concept is two chairs one that you're sitting in, and the other that God is sitting in, that you talk and then you listen. I mean, there, I talk about a spiritual habit to know that you have done that, that you've covered your day, that you've discussed your plans with God. How much more faith do you then have in whatever transpires, you know, good and bad? Well, and here are a couple of the habits. I'll I'll just put it out there for context. Uh, Laura, she says that she talks about it, the problem, the issue with her support group, best friend, siblings, significant other, et cetera. Talk it out, process it, own your feelings and be able to share with someone who doesn't pass judgment. Well, I appreciate that because she just described AA, one of the most impacting organizations of all time, an informal, unofficial gathering of people who support each other day in and day out to stay out of the overcoming of this addiction, whatever it may be. Chris uh, Hote says, it probably depends on the type of tragedy, but if it happens to me, like becoming paraplegic or an unexpected death of a kid, uh, I would, number one, I I work to maintain my physical fitness, my routines, as you said, Tom, and eat mostly healthy foods. Two, find a support group and possibly a psychologist. Three, grieve. Four, journal. Five, volunteer with an organization that's doing good to help people. Basically, things that help me take my mind off of it and remind me that life will continue. Not to avoid grieving, but to provide another focus. If we focus on the darkness, it may swallow us. Now, it was interesting that he, he really was speaking that on the perspective of after something has happened. And what, again, Zig's message really put in front of us is the idea of doing those things before. Are we maintaining our physical fitness routines and eating healthy foods, which affect our mind? Are we doing those now? Are we meeting with support groups now? Are we getting, he says a psychologist, but are we getting counseling, consulting, coaching? Are we getting that now? Are we journaling now? As you said, Tom, are we writing now? Are we becoming aware of, I'd say friends with our thoughts and our feelings. And I'll put that out there for journaling because I, one, am prone to journaling my thoughts. Some people will journal, you know, what happened during the day, events. I tend to do my thoughts. I'm not so fluent or by nature will I journal my feelings, which is something I want to do more. So I'm more in tune with those. Jessica Moyer, who you know, Jessica Smith Moyer, one of the Ziegler Legacy certified coaches. She says, continuing to pour into personal growth and development. I don't know how I would have managed the last 18 months without attending the Ziegler legacy certification that happened two weeks before COVID shut everything down. Here's one that's very candid, Tom, Sean Dempsey. He says, I lost my wife to pancreatic cancer two years ago. I see a lot of folks replying that they've turned to their faith. But what little faith I had at the time, I think I've lost. However, to not allow it to overcome me, I've been reading more again, trying to get out and see more of Colorado and nature, taking steps to minimize obligations and belongings, trying to figure out how I can make a positive impact with whatever time I have 
left in this world. There is a doing in there. You know, even the aspect reminds me, Tom, of the concept of waiting on the Lord. That is biblical that we talk a lot about. It was talked about so much in my upbringing, you know, in the church. And it's talked about today, waiting on the Lord. I personally adopted an active waiting. Um, We all know, and that's some of the struggle, you know, is the, the wait on the Lord. Well, in what way, in what nature do you just sit there? Is God going to pick you up, propel you forward, sit, sit you down somewhere? Does he need you walking and be able to direct there? And not to get into the theology and, and, and doctrine there, but um, this, I mean, we're, this is talking about deep stuff. This is when the rubber hits the road for a lot of us with our faith, with our health, with our mental health, which is a big ticket pers- uh, a topic these days. And with our, and then coming down to, I, I, I wasn't looking for this, Tom, when I put it out there. That's why I love these shows. But with our daily habits, and as you said, our daily routines, are they setting us up? Do we have any? One. And two, are they setting us up to weather the storm? As pithy as that is, or are they setting us up or not? No different than it's so easy to look at physical fitness. And like what you said, Tom, whether you're lifting weights or doing a workout class or just as goofy as that is pushing against the wall that never moves. You do that every day. You will get stronger. Are we doing that? And we would look at that and say, if you do that, you will be able to lift more weights. You will be able to help somebody move, take their couch in and out. You will be able to lift a car off a toddler in an accident. What are, what are we doing mentally? Is that really what we're talking about to be able to weather the storms? I mean, that's uh, doesn't get more poignant than that. Yep. And I just, uh, you know, I appreciate Sean putting that in mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, gosh, if you haven't questioned, if you haven't had those questions, it's probably because you're too young to talk. Agreed. You know, I mean, it's like to some degree uh, we go through it. And that's that's why I really like, um, once again, the, the two chairs with Bob Bodine. Is you know his audiences are primarily secular, hmm. and he speaks there, and he always gets the question, "Yeah, but I'm not a believer," or blah blah blah, and he's like, "Hey, what a great question to ask the Creator! <laughs> Just take the time, sit down, say, hey, God, if you're real, show me, yeah, what's going on? I don't understand." And this is what I know spiritually. If if you're earnest about trying to figure that out, and, and God shows up, yeah, yep. and He shows up in ways that are we have only God can explain it, and you'll know it. But I think God He wants that. He would much rather us complain and and be angry and and grieved and than to ignore. Yeah. Well, hey, two resources I want to pull out as we end there is Zig Ziglar's uh, Confessions of a Grieving. What was the last word? Christian. Of a Grieving Christian. And what you can find, go to Ziglar.com and hit the uh, hit the store there. And Bob Bodine, again, that's uh, B-E-A-U-D-I-N-E, Bob Bodine, and his book, Two Chairs. Two Chairs, I would say it's one of those... It's like an underground bestseller. 
I, I, the amount of influential people that I know that cite that book as being so significant to their faith and their life overall, uh, it's dramatic. So two, two powerful resources for preparation of and dealing, you know, post trauma and tragedy, Tom, always a gift brother. You're a blessing, my friend. As is so often the case, we're back to habits and routines. And if somehow you haven't caught wind of it yet, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, is just selling like hotcakes. It's been out for two or three years. But uh, if you write a book and sell 15,000 copies, you've really done well. Well, he's selling that much every single week, and he leads the advice and how-to category in the New York Times bestseller list, which he's been on for 92 weeks now. So I highly recommend that book for your habit formation. Coming up in episode 923 of The Ziggler Show, I bring Stephen Scoggins. It's a classic story. He's poor, lacking character, work ethic. He gets a chance and squanders it, like the prodigal son story. He's given grace and a second chance, and then he goes from homeless to a $100 million business success. But what's most relevant for you is when I press in on that story and ask, you know, is it necessary for everyone to hit rock bottom? Steven says, no, Uh, thank goodness. The point is having an awakening moment, and that does not require rock bottom or even trauma necessarily. It does require us to change the way we think, and that's the purpose of the show. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.